if anybody knows my work, you know that I can sand a surface that has a ton of dry medium mixed in with, you know, like dry pigment mixed with color or mixed with clear. So when then you sand over it, those surface pigments kind of pop back out and they start to look like a night sky or something silly like that, you know, but the effect of all of this is that I am tricking myself into finding new surfaces. And then you can get a little bit more creative with spray paint. I mean, heck probably up until a year ago, most of the things that I was doing was everything was being painted within prescribed boundaries created by tape. So now there's even like some paint markers in here. I'm actually using a brush probably for the first time in 10 years where there's actually brush marks left behind. And then there's others where it's much more free form spray paint in here in ways that I just wasn't doing before. So that that's creating some new things in the surface. Welcome to the Cedar Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 269th episode, I'm really excited to have Michael Willie back on the podcast after 10 years. We talk all about his really beautiful paintings that are just layered and dense. He's a great friend and mentor, and we're very excited to have him on. If you can believe it, it was 10 years ago in November for episode 9 that he made one of his first appearances on the podcast. So very excited to have him on today. In 10 years, he's gone on to become a professor and the director of the Wansook College of Fine Arts at Illinois State University in Normal, Illinois. I was fortunate enough to make the trip down to visit his studio and to talk all about his really colorful and vibrant paintings. We talk, of course, a lot about process and the layering, the sanding, and some of the different materials like spray paint, pigments, as well as acrylic paint and all the evolution that's gone on in the past 10 or 20 years through his work. You can check out his website, which has a lot of archived work as well as some recent stuff. That's michaelwilly.com. You can find him on Facebook at Michael Willie. And of course, be sure to follow him on Instagram at michaelwilly22. Just a quick reminder, there's about a week left to apply to the Studio Break 2021 Pro Competition. Our juror this year is Erica B. Hess, who's a great painter and podcast host and curator for I Like Your Work podcast. She'll be selecting 10 artists to be featured on Studio Break. Two artists will be given solo exhibitions for new spaces opening up in West Chicago, one of them being Hedgehog Gallery and one of them being my Studio Break Gallery. So very excited for that. It's really easy to apply. You submit a small fee, you email your website, Instagram account, and you are done. It's only open to professional artists, no students. We do have a student competition in the spring, so check that out. Once again, the deadline is November 30th, so get those apps in. And of course, spread the word. If you know any artists that should be applying, tell them to apply. Once again, you can go to studiobreak.com, look under our competition page, or of course, just find it on the left sidebar there on studiobreak.com. If you're new to Studio Break, remember we've got a lot of podcasts up on studiobreak.com. Each of those posts there have images of the artist's artwork, links to their websites. You can listen right there on studiobreak.com or subscribe in Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, you can find us in social media, so be sure to like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break, and, of course, follow us on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. And with those announcements, let's dive right into this interview with Michael Willie. Stay tuned.
All right, welcome to Studio Break, Mike Willie. How are you doing? Ah, Dave, thanks for having me, man. It's cool to be uh, chatting with you here today. Yeah, and then obviously I, you know, came down. You've got a really nice studio. We're looking at tons of paintings, some in progress, some in, I guess, that completed stage. So very, very cool and excited to be here. It's been ten years, if you can believe it. November twenty eighth. We both look younger, though, Dave. <laughs> well, we kind of actually have more of the same hairstyle, I think, <laughs> at this point. Yeah, why don't we talk a little bit about you know your background to catch people up who aren't familiar with your work. Where are you from and all of that good stuff? Well, I grew up in uh, Pontiac, Illinois, which is a small town you know, north of Illinois State. You, know, you drove by it this morning <laughs> yeah. on I-55. I went to Millican University. I went there to study art, to play baseball. And let's see, after graduating with a degree in art education and a BFA in painting and drawing... I ended up moving to New Mexico to teach third grade on an Indian reservation in Zuni, New Mexico. Mm -hmm. So about 12 miles east of the Arizona border in the high desert plains of about 70, you know, 7,200 feet in elevation, something like that. Complete change of pace. And then from there, moved on to graduate school at Bowling Green State University, where I had a really good experience with a lot of great friends, faculty, and kind of developed as, you know, one of the only abstract painters in the program at that particular point, but great faculty that helped mentor me professionally. After the two-year MFA program, they were kind enough and believed enough in me to let me teach there for a year full-time. And then since then, I've been at Illinois State. So when we chatted 10 years ago, I was... Ten and a half years into my time at Illinois State, <laughs> where I was an associate professor at that particular point, I've since moved to the rank of professor, and then seven and a half years ago became the school director. So what's awesome right now is I'm on a sabbatical, so my administrative work was put on hold and was handed off to someone else, my interim director, for these four months. So I've had eight months to lead up to this where I kind of prepared myself for what a sabbatical should be. Mm -hmm. I've taken a sabbatical 12 years ago and I've reviewed several, you know, dozen sabbatical proposals since then as the school director. <laughs> and I know what people are looking for in a sabbatical. And I don't mean from an outside viewer looking in, I'm saying from a, from an internal emotional kind of, what do you need? I'm not renovating my kitchen or anything like that. I'm mm -hmm. talking about I want to identify as a painter because the administrative work that I'm doing as a school director is not only all-encompassing, but it, it kicks my butt from time to time. So the idea that my university is giving me this privilege that I totally see it as such, and my family allows me to kind of function this way during the sabbatical, no one has increased my workload with mm -hmm. my kids or my house or anything like that. So I really do get the amount of time and energy so that we can sit here, Dave, in the middle of November and look at a wall of what I'm going to call kind of resolved, completed paintings. And I can, I'm, I'm, it just, it makes me happy because I, I say, and, and I'm a little embarrassed to say this to your listeners, but I've been fortunate enough to get more studio time. Mm-hmm 
in the last four months than I've probably had in the last seven and a half years. I hope that also reflects how seriously I take my job oh, sure. that I want. Pe- I, I really do want to do my best for my colleagues, for my alums like you, sure, sure. for my supervisors and all that other stuff. But at the end of the day, this sabbatical has allowed me a chance to go back to identifying myself to myself to me sure that i think of myself as an artist and as a painter and i'm i'm proud of the work that we're looking at here today strikes me as that relative to the pandemic it's kind of like almost perfect timing i know that you know i've talked to a lot of artists you know in the past 18 months or however long it's been it's very strange because there's days that i literally feel like i don't know what year it is sometimes but Aside from all the tragedy and hardship and and people that have lost work and all these things that we have to acknowledge, I think for creative people, it's been kind of this weird reset, you know, and I think, you know, kind of considering all those things that you're just talking about strikes me as that, yeah, it's that perfect time. So, yeah, I mean, last time we were visiting in your basement and now you got this, you know, sweet studio, you got tons of spray paint. So I'm seeing some new materials that I sure as heck didn't see 10 years ago. So again, very excited to talk to you all about this. So. Exciting. Yeah, it's cool to look back. You know, I was preparing for a show at Violet Poe Projects that Kendra Pates' uh, space mm-hmm. 10 years ago. And yes, there was some spray paint. Everything was monochromatic. It was all black and white. And then I think maybe three months later, I put on a show over in Peoria with Bill Conger, kind of helped set something up at the Peoria Art Guild. It was the last time I made big paintings. So since then, you know, what we're looking at are all these paintings that are essentially 16 by 12, which is my go-to mm-hmm. size most of the last 10 years. Wow. Yeah. It's interesting. How do you get stuck into a size like this? And I guess this is going to be a very looping conversation, but I'm just going to go with it. But yeah. How do you get stuck into that size? Why not? Why not nine by 12? Mike? What's funny is the <laughs> show title that I was working towards 10 years ago was called looping. Okay, so speaking right. of looping, now I'm going to loop that back into it again, but I don't know. I think, You know, 20 years ago, I was living pretty much in the world of square, and then I just kind of found this size, found this scale, this aspect ratio, and it kind of feels like a sheet of paper, Mm -hmm. and, you know, not to dive too deeply into it, but, you know, the year and a half leading up to this series of work that I've been working on since summer was pretty much the 18 months of COVID, and I've got stacks and stacks and stacks of just kind of doodles and sketches really kind of these typographic things that I was working on during meetings mm-hmm. when I was probably supposed to be paying closer <laughs> attention to whatever the meeting was about. But I found myself taking notes that way. So the the idea that the aspect ratio is similar to a typical American printer paper mm-hmm. seems apropos, you know, right on, right on. Well, you know, in kind of thinking about the process and, and how we got here, you know, maybe talk a little bit more about those doodles. So like mm. literally like, are you, <laughs> you've got like pastels set up or something like that? Or are these, you know, starting off in zoom meetings where you're just kind of like scribbling on the margins and then you, you know, bust out, you know, your sketchbook for 20 minutes. Again, I always think sure. about that idea of a traditional sketchbook, right? Cause like most of the artists I'll be honest, probably that I know are like, yeah, I don't do that. You know? Well, I'm one of them. I'm, I don't know, meaning I'm one of those people that say, yeah, I don't do that. Like, I haven't touched a pastel since I, <laughs> other than teaching a class, I haven't touched a pastel probably since undergraduate school. <laughs> I've, I don't think I've ever made any drawing with pastels. I have lots of crushed P 
pigment that probably <laughs> was a pastel that find their way into these paintings when I mix dry pigment into, you know, some sort of paint or a medium. Mm -hmm. So they're just all on typing paper. They're all done with markers. Some of the markers are just the markers that, you know, myself as a parent, I buy my kids that just either don't get used or the colors that my kids don't want to use mm -hmm. or the colors that still have marker in them, like liquid in them. <laughs> I think I used to go to meetings, Zoom meetings, you know, meaning I go grab three colors mm -hmm. and black. So what started as a simple way of hosting meetings where I need to know who's at the meeting mm -hmm. and, you know, when you might have like three pages of people in a meeting, I would just kind of jot down people's names so I remembered who they were, not for attendance purposes as a supervisor, but just it just kind of became a thing. And then I would try to use a particular typography. You know, this is going to sound like I'm not a graphic designer <laughs> at all. And if any graphic designers there, they're going to know that I'm not. And then every couple months I would switch into like a different font, if you will, that I would, you know, they're all my own. It's not like I'm looking up old English and I'm writing sure, in calligraphy. Sure. I'm really just kind of making my own stuff that probably I never thought would make sense to anybody else. And it really just turned into for 10 months. I was the other than a, another work colleague for 10 months. I was the only person in the office. So somebody would like randomly pop in and, you know, in this COVID world, you, mm -hmm. if, if you worked in the office, by yourself, this will make perfect sense. If you didn't, it's going to sound crazy. And in <laughs> six more months, it's going to sound even crazier. But I would just have hundreds of pieces of typing paper on my desk because, you know, what the hell's the point in keeping your office clean if nobody's going to come in it, right? <laughs> sure. All you got to do is make sure you and the, the background behind you is clean. And all of a sudden, and it's a bookshelf or something or a painting. Sure. Generally, it was a Gina Hunt painting behind me, mm -hmm. which is pretty awesome. But my tabletop would just be covered with these sketches most of which and i mean sketches they're just drawings and it got to the point before the pandemic i would be thinking of a i'm listening to a lecture i'm at a conference and somebody would say something and the the terminology or the the content of what somebody was saying the catchy phrase the the quote that stuck in my head i would write that down mm -hmm. and then it turned into i would remember it because it would be sitting on my desktop and I would only either have like lists of names of people. And I always think it's fun to kind of write other people's names. It's been that way since I was a kid. And then, uh, these kind of memorable quotes, if you will, and those things found their way. And, and again, I don't think any of this is actually meaningful. Me, mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is I'm looking at my paintings now and in many of these paintings cases, I'm looking for ways that I can create new shapes, create new organizations of shapes. So if I, you know, all of my paintings have like blue tape over the top of them, and then I write something on there and maybe I'm listening to a book, which for the most part, that's what I do in here when I'm painting. And I might hear an author say something and I just kind of write the word down in my particular font. Mm -hmm. And it's not like you can see the word in here anymore. You might be able to notice that that might look like the bottom of an R, a capital R or something. But a lot of this is negative space or positive space of letter forms. 
but they'd land somewhere else. But I have no <laughs> desire for someone to think of these as whatever I find. And again, this is my background as an abstract painter, but I don't think there's any need for anybody to look for what letter, what words. I mean, people's names are in here that I'm on the phone with while <laughs> I'm painting. And I'm like, oh, so Brendan, you're on the phone with me. You, your first name and last name have the same number of letters. And they both start with the same B. Why don't I write your name out? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, by the time like you write it, and because I'm using a, a magic marker, a Sharpie or something, magic marker, whatever the hell you call it, and then I f cut everything out with an exacto, fill it all in, and then after it dries, the magic marker seeps back through the tape. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh, yeah, because sometimes I forget almost on purpose I forget what's underneath the tape. I forget what was the impetus. And then when I look at these paintings, there's not one of them where I can go back through. I become like a viewer and say, that looks like it could have been an A or mm -hmm. an upside down V sure. or something like that. But these letter forms are, are in here, but I don't think the meaning of the paintings have anything to do with that. Well, and it, it makes me think of some of the, the previous works that you did. I sure. know that there were ones that were based off of like the negative space under bridges yeah. or yeah. like, I think Roman tiles or yep. something like that. Yep. So it's interesting to kind of think about that evolution. I would imagine though, that some of the processes have, you know, just kind of evolved. I mean, you were kind of alluding to a while back utilizing spray paint yeah. and certainly like the layering in terms of you know, maybe applying some of that medium, yeah. working back over the top of it, masking out areas. Like, what other tricks, I guess, sure. you know, if you could think about relative to that? Because, I mean, like, I don't know, are, have you been more adventurous in terms of all the things that you're adding? Because you're talking about, like, yeah. adding pigments to, to mediums. and Invariably, what happens when people spend time in the studio is their bag of tricks grows, right? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, I think myself as a painter, what I'm trying to do is kind of trick myself into making progress. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's me straight up in a nutshell. So that's why I cover things in blue tape so that I kind of forget what's underneath the painting. Mm -hmm. um, you, you cracked up earlier when we were just getting together talking about color matching. That is the opposite of me. You know, right. you know <laughs> pastels, sketchbooks, color matching, none of that's for me. What, what's hilarious is sometimes I'm trying to get closer and all I end up with is this kind of funny monochromatic thing mm -hmm. that I actually like looking at things where the color is almost the same as the stuff underneath it. I think that blue right there about is about as close, not that the audience is going to care, but you see that where that's probably as close as I'll ever get and it's too close. Mm -hmm. So I try to maybe change the temperature in it or something like that. But you know, when I'm looking at these paintings, over the course of the last 10 years, I've always been the kind of painter that will, for 20 years, would layer something, sand it down, and then put a clear coat of, you know, some sort of medium over the top, let it dry, maybe draw on it, meaning draw a boundary that I then fill in with color or tape or something like that. And then that becomes like the process of tape, cut, fill, peel, sand, tape, draw, cut, fill, peel, sand, mm -hmm. and you do that 40 times. But it always felt like the, the paint part was opaque, one color, 
And the only thing that might be unique or, you know, a trick, if you will, is how much paint I would put in, in relationship to medium. I knew how to sand that with a random orbit sander. Now I use more spray paint. I will mix a lot of dry pigment. You know, I think there's, there's, and I don't think I was doing this 10 years ago, but like I even have like uh, bottles of like volcanic ash from camping where I mix that in. Mm-hmm. And that stuff is really hard to sand, <laughs> which means it always pops through. But you can look through. There's a lot more graphite, charcoal. I noticed that on some of the surfaces, there's kind of like this darkness. Yeah. Is that maybe one of those materials, charcoal, graphite? Yeah, the sheen. I mean, you, you, we all know graphite, but I don't know how many people have actually said, why don't I take clear medium <laughs> and dump a bunch of graphite in there. So I learned this 20 years ago where I was drawing the, those Roman tiles mm-hmm. on my paintings. And I realized a very particular pencil. I can't remember what it is. The Ticonderoga or whatever that's called. <laughs> that's the kind my mom who taught math loved giving her kids. Sure. And I remember she gave me some pencils and those worked in my paintings And uh, what I realized when I was putting medium over it, if I scrubbed the medium in with the squeegee, I would get the graphite to kind of pop back out. And then I could almost put like a, you know, 99% clear 1%. If you use like Photoshop lingo, Mm -hmm. 1% color to get that, that, uh, uh, coat Mm -hmm. of almost clear. Uh, and that would be like the graphite. And then the more you put in, the more sheen it's created. So I'm a painter who makes things that when you put it out online, and I've tried really hard over the last three, four months to put a lot of paintings out on Instagram and Facebook, but they all, the digital images pale in comparison to what you experience standing in front of a painting. So I really wish all of your listeners could stand with us here in the studio today to see the difference, the, the, the depth, the physical mm-hmm. depth of the surface, what the sides look like, what the surfaces look like, because you, you just can't get a sense by looking at an image that always digital, no matter how good the quality is, you just kind of lose some of the tactility, the visual tactility mm-hmm. that you just, it's almost like the smell of a painting you can't get behind a screen. And I don't want to sound like the curmudgeon who doesn't believe in digital. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. But I, I just think there's more to it here. So, you know, there's, there's spray paint. There's spray paint that I sand. There's actually a lot more matte medium in these images. There's a lot more differences in sheen mm-hmm. than there was 10 years ago, whereas before everything would end with a coat of clear matte medium over it. So every inch of each painting had the same surface characteristics now when you stand here you can look at it from the 45 degree angle and realize that the front is glossy the back is not and then there's variations within that and i think what happens is when you sand with a random orbit sander things happen at the same time when you take as like a scrub brush or a you know those green kind of sponge things that you get to like scrub your s- mm-hmm. stove that I'm not good at <laughs> but I'm much better at scrubbing the surfaces of these and then wet sponges so just those three tools alone create different sheens on top if anybody knows my work you know that I can sand a surface that has a ton of dry medium mixed in with you know like dry pigment mixed with color or mixed with clear so when then you sand over it 
those surface pigments kind of pop back out and they start to look like a night sky or something mm-hmm. silly like that. I'm not trying to make it <laughs> sure, you know, but over landscape. Yeah. Or even, you know, but the effect of all of this is that I am tricking myself into finding new surfaces and then you can get a little bit more creative with spray paint I mean, heck, probably up until a year ago, most of the things that I was doing was everything was being painted within prescribed boundaries created Mm -hmm. by tape. So now there's even like some paint markers in here. I'm actually using a brush probably for the first time in 10 years Mm -hmm. where there's actually brush marks left behind. And then there's others where it's much more free form spray paint in here in ways that I just wasn't doing before. So... That, that's creating some new things in the surface. Yeah, and again, that's something that is really important in terms of seeing anything in person, I think, you know, seeing it physically. But these especially just because I really love the matteness of it. It's just really, really nice. It's like lustful. The way that I think of like, you know, when you're mixing up a color, I don't know, you know, any painter is going to maybe relate to that. Yeah. You know, there's kind of this romantic nature of that that tactile visual kind of quality, the way that you think of like, and again, it's terrible for you, but the way that cad red smells or something mm-hmm. like that, you know, there's just something about seeing that kind of richness. And that's something that's really interesting, too, because obviously there are those really kind of flat kind of opaque colors. There's some like really transparent colors, areas that are sanded. So you're seeing other layers popping through. But, you know, as I'm looking at some of them, especially like uh, 26, for example, uh, again, my <laughs> like, some I've of them label make sure I don't post them. <laughs> Multiple sure. times. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. But, but there's, it, there's some interesting things going on, too, because some of the shapes start to look like they fold in and yeah. kind of imply, like, transparency and relationships to the colors. Yeah. And that's something that's exciting. And, you know, as I mentioned, color, you know, that's one of the things you were mentioning, too, about, you know, maybe some of them are monochrome. You know, yeah. I you know, incorporate a lot of uh, color schemes into a particular uh, abstract design project where they paint. And so I'm looking at these and I'm like, oh, we've got like, you know, a nice triadic color scheme over here. This one's monochromatic. This is analogous, you know, complementary. And again, it's interesting because they, they all have that real exploration of color interaction. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, to kind of think about it and guide it that way, is there any kind of you know, system that you utilize, like I've, I've used yellow too much. I'm jumping over to orange. <laughs> I don't know. Well, and you've always probably got like a bunch of these going at once too, right? Yeah, I guess that's why. So to, to explain to your listeners really quickly. So Dave and I are sitting in front of a wall that has about 40 paintings on it behind me. So this is kind of how I work is I usually have three tabletops out. Each table can house eight paintings. They dry horizontally, right? So flat on the, on the tabletop. Behind me is the working wall. So at one point there were, you know, a ton of paintings on one side and the other wall was empty. Mm -hmm. And then one by one, I would start kind of moving them into. So that's my long winded preamble to answer your question about color system. Like all the stuff you said about monochromatic, (laughs) triadic, complementary. I mean, sure. Like I teach painting and drawing. I understand color as much as anyone can really understand color because You know, I'm a big believer that all the things you just laid out, those systems are really just descriptions. I've never been the person that says start with triadic and then build painting around. I'm not proposing other people do or don't. It just, uh, and even if it is the way in which somebody personalizes that or lands, that's the 
cool part for me, my favorite part about working in this, you know, I can't, I can never think of a better word, but this mysterious, this is where I land is when I peel tape, mm-hmm. it's kind of like Christmas morning for a nine-year-old. Sure, sure. It's like you open the surface, like these bottom two here, I was so worried because I, I broke a whole bunch of rules on how you're supposed to apply paint, meaning mm-hmm. I applied wet paint thickly with tape mm-hmm. in, in areas. And then I spray painted over it well before the paint was dry. Mm-hmm. And then when you went to peel the tape, when the top was dry, meaning the spray paint dries a lot faster than the other stuff, it started to kind of mess with the surface. And I thought, oh my God, I probably better wait 24 hours and see what this does. And then I peeled it off, but the spray paint allowed something to occur differently. Mm-hmm. And I'm really thrilled with where these paintings landed because I almost feel like I get to be as, and I've said this for my entire career as a painter, but I kind of enjoy being an observer of my work Mm -hmm. as if I'm not even the person who made the paintings. And I'm not trying to make that sound overly romantic. It's really just (laughs) a, a simple tactic. So I like to live in the world of strategy versus tactics, Mm -hmm. right? big picture versus moment to moment. I'm all about these tactics of like, so when I laid out all the different things that I'm mixing in or what surfaces, what colors, what all that stuff is just minute to minute. I like to think of mixing paint. Like I have a kid who's got to get to a basketball game and they need pancakes. I'm going to mix that batter as fast as I damn well can to make sure I can get the pancakes made as quickly as I can. So kid one, kid two or kid three can get the pancakes and we can get on the road. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So there's so much of this kind of moment to moment tactical efficiency that I got to crank up the griddle before I put the stuff in the bowl to mix it. And you know what? I might kind of mix it all the way, but mixing these paints (laughs) is a lot like mixing pancake batter. Sure. Is if you spend a lot of time and you actually waste 19 more dishes to try to like blend it all. So every little morsel of dry pigment, Mm -hmm gets in and it's perfect. But you know, my kids might just have to eat pancakes that have like a little dry pigment that just doesn't exactly cook. Sure. Because I only mixed it by hand with a fork because I don't want to get the mixer out and have to create more stuff (laughs) that I have to put away. Sure. And that's kind of how my studio is because Dave, you've known me for 25 years, but that's kind of how I am. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's not, this is the best way that I was taught to do A, B, and C. It's like, I'm impatient. Sure. Like, I don't have time for this crap. You know, I, I make work like a busy person makes work, which again, has been great for the sabbatical because I haven't had to feel as busy, mm-hmm. but I don't have time to like sit there and mix the color, what everybody else would call perfectly. I'm like, screw that. I'm just going to mix the damn colors close to the pink that I want. You know what I'm saying? And that's especially what I'm thinking about though, too. Is there anything that you pull from that people wouldn't think about in terms of what will influence that? Because obviously, you know, we're talking a little bit about all this production, all these other things that you're juggling in order to get here and and kind of think about that and kind of being spontaneous. But I mean, I kind of start seeing weird and again, this is something that I'm explaining for myself. I'll start seeing some weird color combination or some, some thing that I'm kind of drawn to. And so, you know, for yourself, is that kind of literally just built upon the language that you've kind of been working with or like the last couple of paintings or like, Hey, this one's yellow. So I'm going somewhere else. Or, you know, I started even thinking about like relative to these tabletops, you know, like, <laughs> I'm just like, I don't know if that influences it, but I can definitely get that idea and that relationship certainly to other 
paintings that you've done that are so focused on process to where you know, you're just going to kind of throw anything that you want at it. And then when you kind of pull that tape up, it's like another reaction to it. I'm, I'm sure that would certainly influence it. You know, the way that you were talking about that other painting with the two blues that were maybe similar. Mm-hmm. So maybe like when you're pulling all this stuff up is the time where it's like, oh, right, I got to, you know, throw throw something in the mix here that's going to disrupt this or it's going to be like a something carried over or kind of directed elsewhere. I don't know. That sounds so like I'm <laughs> not talking about painting. <laughs> I'm sure every listener has figured this out by now, but I start a thought and forget the thought halfway through it. But I think the upside of having this many paintings on the wall at a time is if it looks as if I'm repeating myself, Mm -hmm. then I kind of pull back. I've got my kind of like racks and archive kind of over there. So when these get racked, if you will, Mm -hmm. (laughs) then I give myself the, the ability to make paintings without looking at those colors. So, you know, number 12 and number 10 are kind of the same colors, but they're a little different. Mm -hmm. And even the number one way up there, like those all kind of share the same green, blue family, Mm -hmm. but they're done a little bit differently. I'm okay with that because the lights and darks, the values, the temperature, et cetera, things start to change. But like, I don't want to be one of those artists that I make 45 paintings that are all blue green. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's one, two, three, four, five, eh, five, maybe if you count that six, seven, whatever, mm-hmm. there might be seven in on a wall of 40. I don't, I'm just making up numbers here, but there could be that many. So therefore, when I go back to make paintings, I'm going to do my best. And this is, if I've ever had a quote downside, I just, you know, kind of exhausted about 25 cans of spray paint over there that I've probably had over the course of 10 years. If anything, that's the downside of spray paint is you need to have 300 cans of colored spray paint Mm -hmm. so that you're not "Mm, that pink. Ooh, you know? Sure. Sure. Because then you use that pink and it's very hard to kind of doctor that pink. Like you could, if you've got a tube of pink paint that you really like, and you're like, well, I can put any number of 6,000 colors in there to change that pink a little bit. So, What I've been doing recently to alleviate this problem where I'm using spray paint probably more than I ever have is it kind of looks for printmakers out there. It kind of looks like a blend roll. Mm -hmm. So I put the blue tape down. I put magenta on one side or I I, I cover the whole thing in magenta and then wait for it to be tacky. And then I take like another color and I'll spray paint the left side and kind of fade it over to the right here I go on a little tangent, but um, <laughs> I, one of the things I guess that I haven't, that I wasn't doing 10 years ago that you may not even know about, but I'm, but I, I have also become someone who makes baseball bats mm-hmm. and Interesting. I paint baseball bats. I don't necessarily paint them like my paintings, but I make bats. There's an, they're called razor bill bats. I've got a little Instagram page for it. It's kind of fun. Interesting. And the way I use paint there and watching other bat makers, there's a lot more creative bat makers. Not that the bats are different Mm -hmm. from a wood constitution, from a size scale balance, et cetera, but how certain artists, if you will, are painting bats. There's a lot more kind of, fading going on like a haircut or something mm-hmm. which goes back 50 you know 25 years ago when i used to cut hair too it's like <laughs> there's something beautiful about that 
starting with skin and end up with an inch of hair and you can fade that up beautifully all around a guy's head. Mm -hmm. The same thing with a blend roll and printmaking that I can't do, but I know superstar master printers like Vita Reeves can do. Mm -hmm. And then there's other people that I can do it with spray paint. And I love watching certain bat makers do that with baseball bats in a really, you know, kind of beautiful way. So the idea of, Starting with something that's like just the blue and then I put magenta and kind of fade it across because I happen to have a magenta can of spray paint. I can extend the range of that flat color spray paint using this particular tactic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, the one that maybe you pointed out relative to that almost kind of like rainbow roll kind of, yeah. you know, style almost screen print or yeah. something. It's a really beautiful painting. It's Thanks. it's unpublished at this point, so who knows? Maybe <laughs> maybe we'll see that and share that. Uh, you you know, coming up in the next few weeks. But you know, that's one of the things that has to kind of keep it interesting. You know, I, I think that's one of the weird, I don't know, myths almost about artists or something. Like, there's going to be this end date. You know, like of like I'm going to run out of these kind of creative things. So it, it just seems like you kind of put yourself within that parameter to just kind of keep making work you know and keep responding to it you know that's one of the things that's always cool too because as i'm looking at you know maybe one that might be you know kind of has some color contrast obviously but there's still like you know a number of warm colors in there you know there's some of them that'll be like in the certain value scale and then some of them will shift dramatically with you know real huge shifts in contrast and things like that but it just strikes me that you know again that playfulness of it in terms of just trying something out you know that's something that's never faded i would imagine probably since you were an undergraduate or maybe even before that when you were you know hitting baseballs you know before you're painting bats <laughs> i don't know this is like a half-baked idea in my head but your question kind of uh helps me wrestle with it so i'm 46 years old i've been out of school for 21 and a half years i guess mm -hmm. my entire adult life I've been around other people kind of in this same search for like, why the hell am I making stuff or, mm -hmm. or do I want to make things? So when you mention this idea of people and this myth that people potentially run out of ideas, Oh my God, we all feel that way. And mm -hmm. each of us has a different process that we go through or fear that we have, I think, in getting through that. So I guess one of the upsides is when I look at this wall of resolve paintings for to at least resolve to me, I look at it and I can say this almost like, like a, like a sigh of relief because you're like, Oh my God, because I'm telling you going into this, I kind of thought I exhausted it. Right. <laughs> and, and so for me, I think, I need to be in the studio. I need to be working. I need to trust myself to see if I can get somewhere else that I didn't think I could get before. And, and you're right when you said something about my background in baseball or I coach high school baseball now. I, I've got a son who plays baseball. My daughter, Cecilia, plays soccer and a bunch of other sports and my daughter Vivian, I'm just coming from her basketball game now. And I really think in a lot of ways, what you just described is if I'm a, and I'm thinking of Vivian this morning, like if I'm dribbling down the court and a coach tells me to run the same offense that we were supposed to run the last 12 times down the court, 
and you know how it's supposed to go. <laughs> sure. But there, there, there's got to be a level, and there is. I'm, so this is not a <laughs> my daughter, her coach, or teammates, not at all. I think one of the things that I quite most love about sports is the seeming structure wrapped around improvisation. Mm-hmm. And you think you know how it's going to go, but... There's 10 brains, 10 emotional bodies in the case of five on five basketball. There are all these moments that don't necessarily happen the exact same way it did 32 seconds ago. The last time you dribbled down the court, something might happen. Somebody might have a loose shoelace or something. Somebody might forget to do this. Somebody may not have put their hands up. There may have been a substitution. I might feel more confident right now. And the game starts to change. And I think in a lot of ways... And you might get a basket and then you walk down the court the next time and you're like, I'm going to do the same thing again. And it may work again. Mm -hmm. And it might work 16 times in a row. It probably won't because someone's going to make an adjustment. Just like here, if I painted everything blue green, like we talked about before, something's going to, I'm going to say, I'm the offense and the defense, Mm -hmm. right? As painters, don't we think this way? Or or your listeners think I'm nuts at this point, but... (laughs) You know, if, if we're both offense, defense, and the umpire or referee, depending on the sport, like we have to play all these roles. And I like to think of myself as the audience as well. I guess I'm not the scorekeeper and all that other stuff, but you feel like you connect to all the participants in this kind of metaphor for a game. So I quite like thinking of what I'm doing as structured like that. Mm-hmm where I, I don't really know where these things are going to land and you play the game anyway. Even if you beat sure. me 16, my son beat me <laughs> in table tennis twice last night and he's like, do you want to play again? And I'm like, no, because I had no <laughs> confidence that I was going to beat him that third time. And, and I was too late. And I knew weak. I had to get up for my daughter's basketball Very game weak. today. Two games. Come on. Well, I beat him earlier in the day and then anyway, we I, just moved the table up to our kitchen area, which means now there's a massive table tennis table in the middle of our kitchen slash living room, which means we're going to play it a lot. This is where we're tangentially going to move into table tennis. Yeah. I, again, my buddy, Eric Okrasa, who, you know, has been on the podcast and teaches with me at COD, he just got a new pool table Ooh. and yeah, table tennis. He's like, oh yeah, I just had this like big chunk of time where that's all I did. But yeah, I, got smoked by him in a number of games last week, but I was so sore from it afterwards. Oh. I'm like, how could you be sore from playing? T- then, you know, you're, I, then I ping think pong you're playing it right. I an mean, hour and a half or something. But again, it's, it's super going to be cut probably, but maybe not. I don't know. Fortunately for me, we, we moved on to pool, which was much, much more successful where I won five in a row. But it occurs to me, like, you know, you talk about like ping pong and, and kind of how things kind of evolve differently based into sports or thinking about sports. And one of the things that's so interesting for me about doing this podcast, it makes me think of something that you were saying earlier relative to that kind of like anxiety of, you know, starting something new right. and, and kind of freaking out about it. Like I've interviewed a couple hundred artists, it seems like, or so, something like yeah. that in a certain way. You, you've also obviously worked with so many artists in the past, you know, however many years you've been teaching and they all kind of find these different ways of doing it and different ways to kind of, stay productive. And it's so interesting to me because like, again, you might have this one set of guidelines that, you know, somebody else is going to like just laugh at, you know, or kind of find so, so different. But I mean, it still seems like that there's that kind of eternal search, you know, for something, you know, and I know that, 
even that's cliche. I remember we're talking to Ron Jackson back in the day about this, you know, but it just, it just makes me think about, you know, your work and all the stuff that you've been doing here. It's super interesting to kind of, I don't know, have that time of renewal, I guess, you know, and to kind of really get after it. And I love hearing about how they're all started from, you know, these little doodles that could turn into these other things and that just, you know, keep evolving and, you know, deal with all that process, which is, I think that's something that's so interesting to, to think about relative to these. Are there kind of any kind of end goals? Do you have like exhibitions that you're thinking about or are you just going to be knocking out as many as you can? And, you know, what's interesting to me, think about that too. I mean, you could imagine a bunch of these up on the wall, but you could also imagine a really spare show because they're so packed and dense, you know, even though there's, they're, you know, relatively small scale. I mean, like, again, they're just so, I don't know, beautiful. Well, thanks. Yeah. I mean, I don't have immediate plans. I mean, I'm hoping to develop some, Mm -hmm. like I said before, I think the main impetus of this sabbatical was to kind of, or this, what at work I call a sabbatical, what professionally as an artist, I call like this kind of burst back into a more active daily practice than I was accustomed to Mm -hmm. just four or five months ago. So I'm, I'm hoping to get some opportunities down Mm -hmm. the road with these. And I had a show a couple, like the fall before COVID hit at the painting center in New York Mm -hmm. of work like this. And it was a pretty, it was a small Mm -hmm. solo show with, you know, I don't know, 10 or 11 paintings. So what you just laid out, if you only have 10 or 11, but the image, the surface is kind of action packed, if you will. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is too many paintings. I mean, I think it's great to have, (laughs) um, I think of that show that was at the, uh, the art Institute, maybe, I don't know, six, seven years ago of Toma apps where they had, like 45 paintings that are all about this size. And that felt like there was enough, like six feet of space between paintings where you could really kind of get neck deep in each Mm -hmm. experience and then move on to the next one. I I like to think of my paintings that way. I'm maybe a little too selfish to think I'm going to have a show that only has three paintings in it. Sure. Um, Unless I had like 25 shows or something like that, you know, it'd be pretty solid. I don't know. I, I think, I think it could work. Well, th- thank you for saying that, but really I, I'm, I'm just thrilled to get the opportunity to kind of be here and, you know, have a discussion with you about the work because I think you're the third, just eh, outside of my immediate <laughs> family. You might only be the third person that's been up here in about mm-hmm. three years. Wow. So, you know, <laughs> I clean the place, Dave, just for you. you know? <laughs> it's pretty private. Mm-hmm. even having a whole wall of half-baked paintings is a little unnerving for me because some people to the uninitiated may not be able to tell the difference between these and <laughs> sure. those. And I don't even want to know if somebody thinks something over there is complete and should be on the quote other sure. wall because I'm really interested in exploring my own set of logic Mm-hmm. to make sure that these things get connected with that. And although there's certain formal characteristics that are in the unfinished versus the finished, because the tactics are the same, I don't even like exploring why those aren't resolved <laughs> as compared to these. It's, it's almost like uh, you kind of know it when you see it. I live a life as an artist where I don't like, even when, earlier when you said, Oh, that's a monochromatic and this sure. is, you know, analogous. Like even defining, like not defining, but even pointing that out makes my <laughs> brain kind of go, ah, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> I don't know if, like, I really want the paintings to kind of exist in the, 
it, for me anyway, I want them to exist in that weird space. And I want it to be defined as weird, that weird space between formal and not formal. Although I totally realize these are just formal exercises. I am playing. This is like a fun game of chess between me and the paintings. I totally, sure. you know, so it's game playing, I think, more than athletics, mm -hmm. unless you're wanting to argue about whether or not chess <laughs> is a sport. But I think it's this real, can you see four or five moves down the road? Can you, can you pick these apart in a, in a really fun way? So those are the things that I'm always trying to think about as a maker in the studio. Well, and again, obviously, you know, we've been talking about these amazing paintings. Where can people go to check them out? But you're, you're posting stuff on Instagram pretty regularly, right? So where can people check it out? Yeah, Michael Willie 22 there and, you know, the same on Facebook if you're a Facebook user. Instead, I don't really <laughs> use Twitter for that. But those two I'm updating quite a bit with the new work. So, I'm yeah, you'll see it out there. And is there more of an archive on your website? Yeah, I don't have any of these new ones up on the website, michaelwillie.com, W-I-L-L-E. You know, up to like a year ago, all that is updated. But mm -hmm. to be honest with you, from a year ago in the pandemic up until the start of, you know, July here, I really didn't have much finished coming sure, out of the sure. studio. So the website is uh, pretty well up to date outside of these new works. So, yeah, unless a, unless a painting has been sold... It's still visible on my website, certainly the last 10 years. Of right work, on. Well, know? again, I think, you know, for anybody that, you know, hasn't been, you know, listening to the podcast in the last 10 years, uh, <laughs> you know, this is a, a way they can kind of get a, get their start. And if you're really feeling like savvy and go way back into the archives, it doesn't even load. And again, this is uh, one of the reasons that I'm hoping to have a, a new website in the next you know, chunk of time here so that it's a little bit easier to access this. But if somebody were to go back way, way back to 2011, you were episode nine. And, you know, the, one of the weird things about this, and that, that was October 28th that came out. So Thanksgiving weekend. So it's about the same time. Wow. But again, you're going to be episode 269. So there's kind nice. of that, you know, maybe that could be something that you wind up you know, running in a new direction, uh, with, with numbers and maybe oh, there's just, numbers in here too. Well, I so yeah, I, I was going to say a graphic designer is going to hang me on that one, but, um, yeah, obviously, obviously a blast, you know, to come and, and visit being the third person in here, <laughs> but you know, again, it's been so great talking about, you know, these works and obviously, you know, everybody should go check out your stuff on Instagram and give a follow, but yeah, thanks so much for, for doing this again. Well, thanks for driving down. Thanks for coming into the studio. This, I knew it was going to make a lot more sense being in front of the paintings than it would be otherwise, but Congrats to you, man. The fact that you've done 260 of these episodes since the last time we talked, that all the stamina I'm talking about, oh my <laughs> God, that's crazy. So bravo. Congratulations. Thanks once again to Mike for joining me. You can check out his work at michaelwilly.com. Lots of paintings there. You can also find him on Facebook and, of course, on Instagram. Be sure to follow and say hello at michaelwilly22. Just a quick reminder again that our 2021 Pro Competition is coming to a close November 30th, so get those apps in. Our juror this year is Erica B. Hess, who's a fantastic painter and host of I Like Your Work podcast, also a great curator, and she'll be selecting 10 artists to be featured in an upcoming episode of Studio Break, as well as two artists for solo exhibitions with new spaces opening up in West Chicago. That's Hedgehog Gallery and my Studio Break Gallery. To apply, all you need to do is submit a small fee, send an email with your 
your website, portfolio, and or Instagram handle, and you are done. Just head on over to studiobreak.com, look for our pro competition page for more details, or just find it in the bio on studiobreak.com. And of course, if you know any artists that should be applying, tell them to apply, share this opportunity, we'd really appreciate it, and you also earn some karma points. If you're new to the podcast or just haven't listened in a while, there's a ton of episodes up on studiobreak.com to check out and listen to, so they've always got something going on in your studio to keep your mind occupied. Once again, head on over to studiobreak.com, each of those posts, have images of the artist's artwork, links to their websites, and of course, you can listen right there on studiobreak.com, or just find those links to Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and that we've always got something to listen to in the studio. You can also find us on social media, so be sure to like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter, at Studio Break. And, of course, be sure to follow, say hello, on Instagram, at Studio underscore Break. Music for today's podcast is by Golden Shadow, which is a band with myself on guitar, Ben Cohan on drums, Brett Beery on bass. Interestingly, we came together during the pandemic. I started writing songs, and we started collaborating. We finally got to play together after over a year in July for episode 261. So if you want to listen to that podcast, it's a nice introduction to that. You can, of course, follow Ben on Instagram at and Ben Cohen Studio. He's a fabulous painter. Plenty of work available. You can also check out Brett on Instagram at Brett Beery. He is also a musician and producer. He's got a lot of albums linked in his bio through Bandcamp. Be sure to give us a follow on Instagram at Golden Shadow Band. If you want to see some of my paintings, head on over to davidlinaway.com. There's plenty of plein air works there, architectural works, suburban works that you might have seen before. I do have an annual sale that will be coming up, and I'm hoping to raise some funds for a studio break. So, again, keep your eyes peeled for that. And be sure to follow me on Twitter, on Facebook, and especially Instagram at David Linaway. And, of course, once again, at Studio underscore Break. It's always great hearing from listeners. I'm so glad that people enjoy this podcast. They've got something to listen to while you're working away in the studio. So if you enjoyed today's episode, don't be shy. And, of course, if you enjoyed another episode, it's always great getting comments or DMs. So please say hello. Once again, I hope your studio practice is thriving. I hope everybody's staying safe out there. We'll talk to you real soon.